Braves to the left, and the Braves lead 3 nothing here in the third. Uh, this is Houston. Uh, say again, please. Houston, we have a problem. Smith. The 0-2. Left side, Swanson. To first. Class is back in session for the first time since my Atlanta Braves, your Atlanta Braves, America's Atlanta Braves, the world's Atlanta Braves are the World Series champions. The champions of baseball, the team that wasn't supposed to be there, the team that was the underdog in every series. Underdogs weren't supposed to beat Milwaukee. They weren't supposed to beat the Dodgers. They weren't supposed to beat the Astros. And yet, the Atlanta Braves are the World Series champs. You heard it in the intro. A blast from Jorge Soler in the third inning that hit my house yesterday. It's a good thing they were in Houston because NASA is the only organization that could have brought that ball out of orbit. The Atlanta Braves are the World Series champions for the first time since 1995. I cried real tears. I cried real tears. Real, real tears. I went to work. So, look, let's address, before we get into it. And this is going to be World Series heavy. Um, let's address why is there a teacher doing a, a podcast. And um, I wore my jersey to school the next day. I wore my Ronald Acuna Jr. jersey to school. I still had a shirt and tie underneath. It was a Braves tie as well. But I wore the jersey on top. But I had to wear the tie so that it was work appropriate. And some of my students did not understand. It pained me inside. It pained me. Um, it hurt me a little that the brave uh, that my students were just not as excited and happy and ecstatic as I was. But I decided to do a sports podcast so that you guys could be just as excited as me. Or for Braves haters out there, hate me just as much. I don't know, but. This is exciting. This is this is it. Only in Atlanta sports can a team continue to score runs in a deciding game and the anxiety continue to go up. Um, I just kept waiting for the meltdown. I kept waiting for it to the wheels to fall off. I kept waiting for something to go wrong, and it didn't. It didn't. Game seven was a beautiful thing. Or game six. I apologize. I I uh, almost, I assumed we were, there was going to be a game seven right in the first inning, right after Michael Brantley steps on Max Fried's ankle. 
Uh, he never touches the base. Freed managed to touch the base eventually. The Braves don't even challenge it. And I just said, here we go. This is it. This is this is the meltdown. This is where it all happens. I didn't think Max Freed was going to be able to, to continue pitching in the game. Come to find out, he pitches better when it looks like he has broken his ankle. Um, because he was absolutely dominant for the remainder of Game 6. But we're going to talk more... Um, about Braves pitching later on in this episode. Fellas, I'm ecstatic. At all of these grades are, are going to be World Series based. If you're not happy about the World Series, if you're tired of hearing about it, then this is not the episode for you. But I'm going to break it down for you. The A stands for Alex, and it stands for Anthopolis. And Alex Anthopolis gets the A absolutely 100% gets an A. For the World Series, even though the moves he made happened at the trade deadline. I guess you can also give the A to the New York Mets, who kind of jump-started this Braves run that ended up in winning the World Series. But, Anthopolis gets an A, quite frankly, for the way he just retooled the outfield. He retooled the outfield in a way that... I didn't think was going to be possible. He goes and he gets Adam Duvall. Um, he trades within the division. Adam Duvall from Miami trades Alex Jackson. And those who follow the Braves, and if you don't, I can break it down for you. Alex Jackson may have been the fourth, maybe the fifth best catcher in the system. Um, Darno was going to be there. He when Once he was coming back from injury, he wasn't going to go anywhere. Um, Contreras was there. They got a young guy in Langlers who was there. It just, it, it didn't make sense to keep Alex Jackson. So they go and they get a 40 home run guy in Adam Duvall for maybe the fourth best catcher in their organization. Then they go and they get a injured Eddie Rosario from the Cleveland Indians for the a guy who was batting less than 100 who is best known on the Braves as the backup mascot. He, he wore a panda head. I, I And I love Pablo Sandoval. But the trade, we get Eddie Rosario for Pablo Sandoval. We reach out to Kansas City and get Jorge Soler, who ends up being the World Series MVP for Casey College, who, according to Braves Insiders, is destined to be a relief pitcher. Not a closer, not a setup guy. He's just going to be a career reliever out of the bullpen, not used in high leverage situations. And then the first trade of all of them was the trade with the clubs for Jock Peterson, who the trade was with, uh, we trade them Bryce Ball, who, let's, let's face it, Freddie Freeman is going to be a Braves lifer. Bryce Ball was never going to get his shot in the Braves organization playing first base so we trade a guy that was never going to get out of the minors for jock peterson and anthopolis gets an a because all four of these guys got the braves to this world series championship duvall was the spark the extra uh bat in the lineup to put behind freeman uh behind albies to add more depth to that lineup he gets us the division win jock peterson 
is the reason, one of the main reasons the Braves defeat the Milwaukee Brewers in the first round. Eddie Rosario is NLCS MVP. Just absolutely dominant versus the Dodgers. Couldn't get out. And then Jorge Soler is the World Series MVP with three major home runs. He hits the leadoff home run in Game 1. Hits the go-ahead pitch-hit home run in Game 4. And then hits an absolute moonshot that left not just the stadium, not just the city of Houston, not just the state of Texas, but left all of Earth on his way to winning World Series MVP. It is masterful what Anthopolis did. Now, Alex Anthopolis said his decision to go for it was very much based on his time with Toronto when he didn't make moves at the deadline. There was kind of some backlash for not doing so. The Blue Jays um, didn't make the playoffs that year, so he, he didn't want to make the same mistake. This didn't seem like the year to do that. It, in my mind, made more sense to make these kind of moves last year, but they didn't. Anthopolis never gave in, does a masterful job at the deadline um, to just get these four guys to completely retool the outfield. Um, and it's it's the reason the Braves, that combined with the bullpen, obviously you can't say enough about the night shift, but as far as the World Series goes, the, the night shift was great against the Dodgers. The World Series, they, were, they weren't as great as they were against Los Angeles. So Alex Anthopoulos gets an A for just altogether putting this roster together. The B goes to Braves pitching. Now there were times in the World Series that Braves pitching deserved an A. Um, Charlie Morton gets throws 16 pitches, gets two strikeouts on a broken leg. Can't say enough about that. We talked about Max Fried in game six. Six innings, no runs, looked like ace. Dominant NL's best pitcher after the All-Star break, Max Freed. Um, and I said it in, a, in an earlier episode, Max Freed deserved credit for the game. He got the loss in game two, but he, despite giving up four runs in the second inning, pitched deep into that game, giving the bullpen a little bit of a break, especially after the long day they had had the night before in game one after the Charlie Morton injury and the bullpen having to take over in the third round. Braves pitching again, that deserved an A. Ian Anderson, no hitter through five, gets pulled before turning it over to the bullpen, but absolutely masterful in game three, in the first game back in Atlanta. And I'm going to give a guy a guy that I had zero faith in, no faith in whatsoever. Even there was question, who's going to start game four? I was saying, you know, listed several names before I got to Kyle Wright, who... MLB career ERA of nine has to come into the game in game four and does a masterful job. Comes into the game. The Astros are up. He kept that game close. The Braves end up winning game four with um, that was the tying home run by Swanson and then the go-ahead home run by Soler. But that game, if, if Kyle Wright doesn't pitch the way he pitches in Game 4, Game 4 is not winnable. It's not even within reach. Kyle Wright was masterful out of the bullpen. Um, 
the two starters in the bullpen games, that this is where we get into why Braves pitching doesn't necessarily get an A. You have three guys who did their best to push the Braves up to get that A for pitching. Now, granted, you give them credit. Um, two games, the Astros got shut out, and this was supposed to be that vaunted lineup, best lineup in baseball statistically this year. Um, but Dylan Lee, who's thrown into an impossible situation, first career start as a rookie, didn't throw a lot of major league innings this year out of the bullpen. He's asked to start game four. He's only able to get one out. Now, granted, there is an error uh, earlier in that game by, or early in his start by Swanson that, that didn't help matters. But Dylan Lee put in an uncomfortable, impossible position to comes in. He doesn't pitch very well in his first start. Tucker Davidson, um, I felt like gave you what the Braves needed in game five. And that's when Duvall hits the grand slam in the first inning. Tucker Davidson gives up two runs. He gets you through two innings, only giving up two. Braves have the lead 4-2. That's when I felt like he had given you what you needed. Not That was the time to go back into that bullpen. They did it. They trot him out there. Astros end up tying the game. Astros ends up winning that game after A.J. Minter, part of the night shift, um, who had been brilliant and dominant, Mind you, he had gotten sent down to Gwinnett earlier in the year, got himself together, figured out what was going on, brought himself back up, uh, or the Braves brought him back up and re-solidified himself as a, a go-to arm at the back end of that bullpen. Mentor didn't have a great game. Uh, and part of that may be due to the fact Brian Snicker decides to walk Bregman, who wasn't having the greatest of series. We'll talk more about Alex Bregman later on. To pitch to Martin Maldonado, who, again, statistically one of the worst hitters in baseball among starting hitters, guys that weren't just regular pitch hitters, and it backfired. Um, Maldonado was never going to swing the bat. If you watched the game, saw the at-bat, Maldonado was almost touching home plate. He was standing that close. He mentored through one high and inside, or about belt high and inside. Maldonado didn't even try to get out of the way. It looked like he wanted the baseball to hit him. It was very clear and evident he was not going to swing the bat. Mentor walks him. That's the game. That they score a run there before eventually blowing it open. But later in that game, and, and this is again, they go to Drew Smiley, who gave up a couple runs, but was able to finish the game. It the Braves were never in a position where they had to use more of Tyler Matzik, use more of Luke Jackson, um, more guys in that night shift back end of their bullpen. Drew Smiley was able to get through the rest of the game, finish the game, um, and give that bullpen a little bit of a rest uh, before the travel day and then before going into game six. So... The B goes to Braves pitching. They have a lot of guys and a lot of elements that say, well, A, maybe they deserved an A, but it wasn't dominant Braves pitching. Now, it would have been interesting to see what changes in Game 5 if Charlie Morton doesn't get hurt in Game 1. Um, you know, if Max Freed doesn't have some bad luck in Game 2, couple uncharacteristic errors, couple of dribblers that, that, that got through the infield, um... You know, how does that change? What if Kyle Wright starts 
game five, um, instead of, or, I'm sorry, game four, instead of coming out of the bullpen, um, you know, what, what, what happens there? Just, you know, what if A.J. Mentor doesn't have to throw three innings in game one? Does that, you know, the Astros hitters aren't able to see him as much. Does that make him more effective when his time was called in game five? I don't know. I, I don't know. But the Braves pitching did enough. Credit to the Braves pitching. They shut out the Astros twice. They shut out the Astros twice. Now, I'm going to talk more about the Astros lineup again later on in the episode. So, is all of that Braves pitching or is some of that Astros batting? I, I, I'm not sure. Obviously, I know that one of the hardest things, I, I believe the hardest thing to do in sports is to hit a baseball. Um, but Braves pitching gets a B. Just because if, 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 if that four-man outfield that was put together by Alex Anthopoulos wasn't so dominant to get the Braves there and to not only get them there but to win the World Series, then I say Braves pitching gets an A. But that, that Braves outfield was dominant. Dominant. And that's the reason why the Braves not only made the playoffs but the reason the Braves uh, were able to overcome being under 500 for the, a, a long portion of the season, losing the best player in the National League in Ronald Acuna Jr., getting to the playoffs, winning the division, beating the Brewers, beating the Dodgers, and ultimately beating the Astros. Not that Braves pitching was bad, but it wasn't A-worthy. They get a B, and a real high B, almost an A. A C goes to the, the Houston Astros bullpen. I give the Houston Astros bullpen a whole lot of credit. A whole lot of credit. Framber Valdez wasn't good in either of his starts. He doesn't go very long. They got to get into that bullpen early in game one. They got to get into that. They go to that bullpen somewhat early in game two when Urquidy was taken out. Game threes felt like they went to the bullpen earlier than they may have needed to with Luis Garcia, but they, they go to that bullpen. Uh, game four with Matt with Zach Grinke, they definitely go early. Grinke was pitching well, was pitching great, hadn't given up anything. Um, but he gets pulled after four. Game five was a bullpen game for the Astros. And then, you know, or game five, I'm sorry, was Framber Valdez's second start. And again... Did not pitch well. And then game six, they go back with Luis Garcia. I thought it was going to be Urquidy. They used Urquidy in game five out of the bullpen. Maybe that played a role in why Garcia was the starter in game six um, over Odorizzi or even Urquidy. Maybe even Grinky again, Urquidy. I, I don't know. But they go with the rookie Luis Garcia. In the first two innings, he looked great. First two innings, he looked great. And... Even when the runners got on base before the Solaire home run, he hadn't threw many bad pitches. It was a bad pitch that he threw to Solaire, and Solaire just didn't miss it. Solaire had been getting on that breaking ball, getting on that breaking ball, took a couple good pitches, and finally got one, and he let loose on it over the train tracks out of the stadium. But the Astros' bullpen gets a C because Stanek was fantastic. Maton who they got at the deadline, was brilliant. Presley threw a lot of innings in, in game four. 
And maybe that affected his ability to be used more so. He threw a lot of innings, but was dominant while he was in there. Yimmy Garcia was the go-to guy for Dusty Baker when he had to go to the bullpen early um, or things were looking a little shady. And, and Yimmy managed to get out of all of those situations. I thought the Braves were going to have success against Yimmy Garcia. They had success against Yimmy Garcia when he played for the Marlins. That was false. He goes to Houston and became a better pitcher. Um, the two guys that were somewhat shockingly not good for the Houston Astros bullpen were Kendall Graveman. Kendall Graveman gave up. He, he, was, he was great when Presley was not available. He's also gives up a big home run to Travis Darno, who to that point in the series hadn't done a whole lot of much and gives up a big time home run to Darno, And then obviously Christian Javier, big time strikeout pitcher had pitched well all season, got you a lot of K's, good movement, good fastball. Just didn't have it in this world series. And it started with the, the game four loss where he gives up the opposite field home run to Dansby Swanson and then the follow-up pitch hit home run by Jorge Soler. And then he did it again in game six. They put him back in the game. He faces Swanson again. Swanson takes him deep again. So, and, and shouts out to Dansby Swanson, a, 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 a kid from Atlanta. A lot of questions about him. There's a lot of guys in this Braves team that Braves country, whether it be on Twitter, on Facebook, on social media platforms, blogs, whatnot. There's a lot of guys that played key roles in this Braves World Series run that people were not happy about at various points. You know, people were curious, you know, is Dansby Swanson the future? Is Dansby Swanson the guy? Is is Dansby Swanson as good as we thought he is or think he is or thought he was? Um, they were calling for Will Smith. You know, should Will Smith be the starter? Is he good enough to be a starter? Is he worth it? Uh, Brian Snicker was getting questioned at various points throughout this season. And, and in the playoffs, maybe with the exception of game five, he pressed all the right buttons. Pressed all the right buttons. And including, you know, previous series before that. So, I, a lot of wrongs were righted. And it's crazy how that works out with a, a World Series victory. will do that to you when you bring bring back the hardware. Speaking of the hardware, it was great to see MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred get booed when he passed what he called a piece of metal to the Atlanta Braves. When he presented that piece of metal to the Atlanta Braves, everyone there in Houston, all the Braves fans there in Houston watching the trophy ceremony booed him relentlessly. It was beautiful. It was fantastic. It was a great thing to watch. I can't imagine what baseball would be like if they had a commissioner who liked baseball. They had a commissioner who believed in baseball, who did right by baseball, that would be amazing. But they don't. The commissioner doesn't like baseball. That's why there's a marketing problem. That's why a lot of my guy, a lot of my students, and I teach in inner city school, weren't able to see guys that look like them playing a sport that really, if you get into it and you start playing it, it's, it's fun to play. Baseball is a marketing problem, and that falls back on Rob Manfred. This Braves team is a was a perfect team to market. Down, out, lost their best guy. A, per, a perfect perseverance and resiliency, and and all of those are things that you could market 
and, and never happened. It never happened. Rob Manfred never did it. It's because Rob Manfred doesn't like baseball. And, you know, say, say what you want about other commissioners. You know, not everybody likes Roger Goodell, but Roger Goodell likes football. Roger Goodell wants the NFL to do well. I don't believe the same can be said about Manfred. But getting back to my point, the Astros bullpen, uh, they did, I think, they did a, a great job for the most part. Um, sometimes put in some impossible situations. The Braves saw a lot of some of these guys, and some of them were dominant, and some of them weren't able to live up. Um, but the, the pin to have to throw as many innings as they did in the World Series, and I think that's a, a problem baseball has to fix. You know, Ian Anderson goes five. He he wasn't. It's a no hitter, and I understand it. And obviously, playing the results, it looked like it was the right idea, and it was brilliant. But at the time, I was wondering, you know, is it right to pull Ian Anderson now? Should you let Ian Anderson go out there? But re replaying the game back, he wasn't dominant. He had walked a lot of guys, thrown more balls than strikes. The Astros were helping Ian Anderson out quite a bit, got into three, two counts often, high, just high number of pitches. He had walked a lot of guys. He wasn't dominant in his five innings of no-hit baseball. He wasn't bad either, but he wasn't dominant. Um, but he still went five. Max Freed goes five in game two. He goes six, uh, and I thought could have went more in, in game six. Charlie Morton, I have no doubt, would have went deep into Game 1 based on the way that he was pitching after he got out of the first inning jam in Game 1 um, and would have went deep in Game 5. He's a big game pitcher. With the opportunity to close that game out in Atlanta, Charlie Morton on the bump, I believe Braves would have won in 5 and they would have won it in front of their fans. But Astros pitch starters did not go deep into, into the games and I think it stressed their bullpen. And for the bullpen to put up the numbers that they did was impressive, especially when they the Braves hitters got to see them over and over and over and over again. Uh, the D for the World Series goes to Astros with runners in scoring position. Runners left on base was a big deal for the Houston Astros. And I think it started in game one. When Charlie Morton had to go out with his leg broken, minus, mind you, he threw 16 pitches with a broken leg and got two strikeouts. One of those involved throwing a 96-mile-an-hour fastball with a broken leg. I just want to point that out there. Um, game one, they left nine runners on base. They had actually managed to hit Matzik, who had been unhittable against the Dodgers. But they leave nine runners on base in game one, which was a loss. The two games that they won, they didn't leave that many runners on base. But game one, they leave nine. Game three, they leave six. And that's a that's a two nothing game. They leave six runners on base there. Do not hit well with runners in scoring position. Game four, which is the game that the Braves came back, they leave eleven runners on base. They left eleven runners on base, and again the Braves were able to come back and win that game because the Astros never built that lead and continued to score more runs. Instead, the Braves man and Kyle Wright, again, I, sh I I talked about it earlier. Kyle Wright was able to get out of jams and get out of jams and get out of jams 
to keep that game close and to keep it to where the Braves could come back. And they did. Astros leave 11 on. Braves are able to come back. Game six, um, Astros leave five runners on, including um, including Marlon in the comments saying, I want to hear what the dog had to say. <laughs> yeah, my dog is not happy that I'm not paying attention to her. Um, Astros leave five runners on in game six. It, it, Max Freed was dominant. The, the inability to get to him when... Altuve gets the infield single, and Brantley, or yes, Michael Brantley is essentially awarded first base by the Atlanta Braves because they didn't challenge that play and they weren't able to get to Max Fried after stepping on his ankle. Was telling. I think that said a lot. It was again a zero-zero game until the Solaire home run, and that's a problem. That's a problem. The Astros did not hit well with runners in scoring position, which brings me to the F for the World Series, and that's the Houston Astros lineup. The Houston Astros lineup was supposed to be vaunted, the best lineup in baseball, and the Braves, without Mike Soroka, without Charlie Morton, after a bad start from Max Fried in Game 1, I mean, they were able to shut them out twice. They shut them out on two different occasions, one a start by Anderson, one in the game six start by Max Freed. And again, Kyle Wright was able to get through that lineup several times. Game one, the bullpen, able to get through that lineup several times. The Astro Bats and the big names did not hit well in this World Series. The Braves out hit home run wise the Astros 11 to 2. Um, and both of those home runs came by Altuve. So, looking at them, Jose Altuve goes 6 for 27 in the World Series. He goes 0 for 5 in Game 1, which was a Braves win. And he went 0 for 3 in Game 3, which was the uh, Anderson no-hit bid game. Bregman, Alex Bregman goes 2 for 15. He goes 0 for 4 in game 1. 0 for 3 in game 2, which they were still able to win. 0 for 5 in game 4, which is the game the Braves came back. And 0 for 3 in game 6, which was the clincher. Ale uh, Carlos Correa, 6 for 23. 0 for 3 in game 1 in a Braves win. 0 for 3 in game 3 in the Ian Anderson game. Game 4, Correa goes 3 for 5. So, hard to put any blame on him for why the Braves were able to come back there. But he also goes one for four in game six. Jordan Alvarez, who was the ALCS MVP, uh, lights out at the plate against the Red Sox. Two for 20. He had a hit in game one. He had a hit in game six. That was it. In between, he goes one for three in game one. Braves win. 0 for three in game three. Braves win. 0 for 3 in game 4, and he came up with a lot of those runners on base. And a lot of those 11, 11 runners left on base in game 4, Jordan Alvarez was at the plate. He goes 0 for 3 there. He goes 0 for 5 in game 5, and the Astros still managed to win that game. That was the shocking part to me, was that they continued to put Alvarez out there. I, I thought in one of those games... In the National League Park, Dusty Baker should have replaced Jordan Alvarez. I mean, he's he's a DH. 
normally. DH is for them in the American League Park. All the games that were played in Houston, he was the DH. I think giving him the opportunity to to sit down and, and get himself together and retool and and just focus on attacking hitters, even if it, it I mean, it worked in game two, it worked in game five. I understand that he helped get you there. But he had re he had moved he had shuffled around his lineup, Dusty Baker in, in game five, and then used that same shuffled lineup in game six. I just thought at some point you had to pull Alvarez out. He he wasn't performing at the level he needed to perform at. Somebody else on that bench, whether it was Chaz McCormick, who started game one, Surrey, who hit the home run game two. Could have done something more, and and you could have had Alvarez. Um, he could have been a late inning at that guy. Did was play, did playing in the field in those three games in Atlanta affect Jordan Alvarez's um, attack at the plate? Now, granted, it could have been Braves pitching and Rod and Kranitz, uh pitching coach Rick Kranitz had a great game plan and, and and plan of attack against these guys, and that may have been it. But Jordan Alvarez did not look good. Two for 20. Yuli Gurriel, who's the AL batting champ, he goes six for 22 in the series. He goes two for four in the game one loss, but no one else hit in game one. The win, He gets a hit in the win in game two. He goes 0 for three in game three in the Andy Anderson game. He goes 0 for two in game four in the game that the Braves are able to come back. He hits, uh, he goes three for five. All of these guys, with the exception of Alvarez, got a hit in Game 5, and that's when the Astros scored a whole lot of runs. But then he goes 0 for 4 in Game 6 in the clincher. And it's hard not to play that narrative back of, you know, the Astros are... are, The sign-stealing is what it is. They They didn't deny it. It happened. It's hard to look at numbers like this and and you you left to wonder how much did the sign stealing have to do with the numbers that they put up. Now, granted, they hit great all regular season. But we all know that postseason, the, the postseason is a little bit different. The postseason is a little bit different. And so did the sign stealing have something to do with how great these batters are? Or were in the playoffs. Because they weren't great in the World Series. Now granted, I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth here. Because I just gave, earlier in the episode, I give the Braves high marks for their pitching. But it's hard not to play that narrative back. And you're left wondering, how much did the sign ceiling have to do with how great these hitters were? And are. I don't know. I don't know. But I'm going to take it because I'm totally okay with it. The Atlanta Braves are the World Series champions of baseball. And it is a beautiful, wonderful thing to see and say. Let's let's move on. Uh, Let's let's get out of the World Series. Let's talk... uh, Let's get into our lesson for today, and that is, if Cincinnati's not in the top four of the college football playoff rankings, then 
is there hope for any non-Power 5 school? Cincinnati beat the teams on their schedule. They beat the teams on their schedule. They beat Notre Dame, a ranked Notre Dame team. And if... I'm not ready to say that Cincinnati would get into the college football playoffs and shock the world and win again. I'm not ready to say that. I'm a Georgia Tech fan, and I'm going to tell you that Georgia has one of the best defenses in football. Do I think Cincinnati is going to put up the numbers that they're putting up against a Georgia defense? No. But if this Cincinnati team can't get a shot, then I don't I don't know I don't know what what chance any other non power five school has. And how is Alabama number two? How how I just again Alabama's number two. Ohio State is number five. These are two teams with a loss that not on there. Not on there. A seven and one SMU team, seven and one Houston team, not even in the rankings. Not even in the rankings at all. And in those rankings include a five and three Mississippi State team. A five and three Wisconsin team. Like, at some point we have to wonder a seven and one Michigan team is still ranked seventh. And that's above an undefeated Oklahoma, who hasn't looked great, but they're still favorites to win their conference. An undefeated Wake Forest, who again Looks like the favorite to be the ACC champion with a dominant quarterback. So, I, I don't understand how these rankings are supposed to work and what, like, hope any group of five team has. Because here's, here's what I want to know. Let's say Georgia and Alabama, if it stays this way, Georgia and Alabama are one and two going into the SEC championship game. Alabama's at two. Let's play it out. Alabama's at two. Michigan State, Ohio State play each other. Let's say Alabama loses and Ohio State loses. You take a seven, the way the rankings would be, Michigan State moves up. Oregon probably moves up. Does Alabama drop all the way out? Because you've put Alabama at two. Not at four. Not even at three. Because you've put them at two. If their only loss is to Georgia in the SEC championship game, it feels like there's a there's potential there for them to stay there. Even if they lose. And then, because Alabama is at two, what if they beat Georgia in the SEC championship game? Well, Georgia's not going to drop from one all the way out of the playoffs. These two teams are going to face each other. Potentially one and two in the college football playoff rankings. The loser of that game is not going to drop out of the four. Unless 
Michigan State loses or Oregon loses. And it, it just doesn't seem like Cincinnati, I don't feel like, has a shot. Ohio State, based on the way the rankings are working, they're going to get a shot to play Michigan and Michigan State. Two teams ranked highly in the college football playoffs. Cincinnati's not going to have that chance. Oh, it would it shock anyone if Oklahoma jumped Cincinnati in the college football playoff rankings? Even Wake Forest. What if Wake Forest jumps? Like, this is why I feel that the these some something is off the way that they put this together. This is also why I feel like you have to expand the playoff. Expand the playoff to include. Every Power 5 champion. So let's say that gives you UGA. There's just going off of what there is right now. Let's say UGA in the SEC, Wake in the ACC, Michigan State in the Big Ten, Oklahoma in the Big 12, and Oregon in the Pac-12. And this is, I've always, I've always said this. You expand it to eight. So those five get in. Then an undefeated group of five champion should get one of those three wild card spots. That would be Cincinnati. And even if you feel like they're at six, well, guess what? They're still in the playoff now. They are still in the playoff. So Cincinnati's at six. I lose you two more wild cards, which, based on these rankings, would be Ohio State. And it's obviously, and it's not going to be Ohio State and Michigan because one of them is going to beat the other. It would be Ohio State and Notre Dame based on the first playoff rankings. And now, let's say you take those eight and then you rank those eight. I'm sorry, not Notre Dame, Alabama. You still get Alabama still gets in there. And now you rank those eight teams. You take the five power five champs, three wild cards, one of which is guaranteed to an undefeated group of five champion. And then you rank them one to eight. Because then you can have then if Georgia and Alabama are one and two, which they would not be because they play each other. Then you rank them, and then you play it out. I don't understand why this has to be so difficult. Because the FCS division has a playoff. I feel like college football is trying to reinvent the wheel. The FCS level had given you a playoff system. They'd given you a system and a format. It was already there for you. Take that. Or at least recognize that this is not going to work. The way it's working right now is not going to work. You have to expand the playoff. I say expand it to eight. All five conference champs get in. That leaves all five power five conference champions get in. If you believe the power five is that much better, all five power five champions should get in.
three wildcard spots. Three wildcard spots. And you guarantee a wildcard spot to an undefeated group of five champion. Period. It just makes sense. It makes sense to me. And, and, and why, I, do, I, w- I would love to hear the argument for why four makes sense. Because it doesn't. It's not fair. And again, I'm not saying that Cincinnati is able to beat Georgia or even Alabama or Michigan State. The chances are slim. But if Cincinnati doesn't get in at all, the chances are zero. Period. All right, we're going to go. Speaking of college football, I uh, my picks were not so great last week. Did, did not do so hot last week. Last week, I told you to take Iowa, Pitt, both lost. I told you to take the points with Florida, that loss. Wake Forest covered, so I went 1-3. and 1-3 and three in college football. This week, I think the last two weeks, that puts me at 5-3. and three. I'm still winning more than I'm losing in the last two weeks. This week, I got four more games for you. Four more picks. Ole Miss... Favored by nine and a half at home versus Liberty. I understand Malik Willis is a great quarterback. I understand Hugh Freeze coming back to Ole Miss, something to prove. Get it. I understand all of it. Ole Miss should be favored by more than nine and a half. Ole Miss in the points. I'll take Ole Miss and the 9.5. I think this game is going to get out of hand. It might be close early. But I think Matt Corral is not going to let this game stay close very long. Malik Willis hasn't seen an SEC defense. Um, and, and Liberty's quarterback can be as great as he wants. Liberty's team is not equipped to go up against a ranked Ole Miss team at home. Give me Ole Miss minus 9.5. Pitt. Uh, is favored by 21 against Duke. I, I don't think Duke could stop a nosebleed with an entire factory of Kleenex. That Duke defense is not good. They're not good. They're not even close to good. They can't even pretend to be good because they're not. So take the take the 21-point hit. Pitt, coming off a loss, has something to prove. I know I, I told you last week to take Pitt minus 9. They, they shouldn't have lost that game. They're definitely not going to lose this game. I think Pitt wins big. I think they have, again, something very much to prove. I think Kenny Pickett has a huge game uh, against a very, very bad Duke defense. Take Pitt minus 21 at Duke. Wake Forest is a two-and-a-half-point favorite at UNC. I still don't understand the UNC love. I, I thought UNC was ranked way too high to start the season. I think that proved to be right very early on with losses to both Virginia and Georgia, Virginia Tech and Georgia Tech. Wake Forest is going to throttle North Carolina. Games in Chapel Hill, it's not that far away. From Winston-Salem, I think Wake Forest fans are excited about this. I think Wake Forest fans are going to travel to Chapel Hill. And I think Wake Forest beats North Carolina. I think the, the Wake Forest quarterback puts up big numbers. Um, 
that that Wake Forest minus two and a half at North Carolina, hammer that one. But Marlon says which one is the lock of the week. That one's coming up right here. Michigan State, I think, proved that they are for real. I think that Kenneth Walker has a legitimate shot to win the Heisman Trophy. And they are three-point favorites at Purdue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's way this game should I thought would have been more than a touchdown. I thought minus eight, minus eight and a half, minus nine maybe. I I don't think this is a, I don't think this three-point spread is fair for Purdue. I think Michigan State is just a much much better team than Purdue is. The lock that I have, if you're telling me which of these four is my lock, just like last week, it's the la- the last pick that I made. I was the one I felt most comfortable about. This one is the one I feel the most comfortable about. Michigan State is going to beat Purdue by two touchdowns, and you only got to give up three points. So even if I'm not wrong about two touchdowns, even if they only beat them by one touchdown, they've covered the spread. Yeah, Michigan State minus three. Big. But I, th- I think it's going to be big. I think it's going to be uh, much like the UNC game. I think Wake Forest is going to throttle North Carolina. I think Michigan State might beat Purdue by even more than Wake Forest beats North Carolina by. I would feel much better. I mean, I mean I'm confident in telling you that Pitt is going to beat Duke. But that spread, minus 21, is reflective of, of just how much better Pittsburgh is than Duke. I... This spread is not reflective of how much better Michigan State is than Purdue. Um, and I, that's the reason why I say take Michigan State minus three, and that's the one I would lock in, and that's the one I'm the most confident about. I'm going to end this episode on a sad note, but I, I'm going to take this opportunity to I, I really want people to listen, my students, my former students, that are getting their license and things like that. Henry Ruggs III took a life. The details of his DUI are shocking. He was going over 150 miles an hour while intoxicated hit a woman whose car burst into flames and she literally burned to death. It's horrifying. It's tragic. And it should have never happened. Driving under the influence, driving while tipsy, driving while you're like, ah, I think I'm good. I think I'm good. It shouldn't is not good enough. You need to know you're good. No one should ever get behind the wheel of a car while they are intoxicated. Especially not in today's era where there are so many other more responsible ways to get wherever you need to get to. Henry Ruggs plays a sport where the league provides drivers, if you need them, to avoid situations like this. 
I do not feel bad for Henry Ruggs. I'm aware that Henry Ruggs made a mistake. But it was an avoidable mistake. It was a mistake that wouldn't have been difficult to keep from happening. It's a mistake that cost a woman her life. It cost a family. It cost someone their daughter. I don't feel bad for Henry Ruggs. Henry Ruggs has every opportunity to not get behind that wheel of the car, and he made the decision to do that. But the other thing I want to point out is that someone knew Henry Ruggs did not need to get behind the wheel of that car. Somebody was there and knew Henry Ruggs had no business driving. And nobody stopped him. I'm not saying that those people are just as guilty. But I think they should feel some sort of guilt. Driving... Under the influence of alcohol at this day and age, every you know the risks. There's no reason for it. There's too many other ways to avoid doing it. Uber, Lyft, taxis are still a thing. Call a friend. Something. Going 150 miles an hour while not intoxicated is dangerous. Doing it while you're intoxicated? It's idiotic. I do not feel bad for Henry Ruggs. I think Henry Ruggs deserves whatever punishment is handed down to him. I'm actually proud or happy the way that the Raiders handled it. Because there was no ifs or maybes about it. The details came out, and he did it. And the details were staggering and astonishing. And it all could have been avoided. So to my former students that are listening, that are getting their license, my current students that listen, that will eventually get their license, to those of you that listen and have your license, do not get behind the wheel of a car intoxicated it's not worth it reach out reach out to me on twitter if you need an uber home and you just you ain't got it spend all your money uh on the drinks that got you in the position that you're in i'll i'll venmo you or cash up you the uber money do not get behind a vehicle and risk not only ruining your life but ruining somebody else ruining or potentially ending in the in the the way of in the Henry Ruggs scenario, somebody else's life and destroying another family. Not worth it. No reason for it to happen. Too many other ways to get home. That being said, I'm going to get off my soapbox. Shouts out to Effortless Entertainment. They got me the microphone that helped uh, fix the audio issues I was having very early on in my podcast. Uh, life. Shouts out to Marlon versus Marlon. 
their podcast. Go listen to them. Check them out. They have me on as a guest. They're the reason sports school is a thing. They're the reason class is in session. Um, Diamonds and Pearls on VRBO. Um, Sunset Beach area condo right near Myrtle. Um, right on a golf course. Tons of stuff to do down there. Uh, the capital of the world for seafood right there in Calabash, North Carolina. Reach out on VRBO or Airbnb now. Search Diamonds and Pearls. Um, mention Sports School for a discount. Uh, those are my sponsors. Uh, I love all of you. Thank you all for listening. You guys also a reason Sports School exists. If I didn't have Sports School students, there would be no reason for a Sports School teacher. So I appreciate it all. Once again, let's remind everyone that the Atlanta Braves are the World Series champions. And I'm going to end on that. Coach Dwayne is out.